Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac Wayne heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play, and boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured, it was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntris here, interesting conversation today with Kwanzaa Osagifo. He is the writer of Black, a new original graphic novel that just started a Kickstarter campaign this week, and I'm happy to say have already reached their goal. Not surprising given the amount of talent that's on the book. Along with Kwanzaa, there's Jamal Eigel doing interiors, Tim Smith, and also Kari Randolph providing uh, the covers. I'm glad to hear that it was such a success. And it sounded like a great book and a very great idea for a science fiction story. Um, I'll let Kwanzaa give you the details, but uh, congratulations to them and uh, in succeeding on their Kickstarter campaign. But I still think the book uh, deserves your attention and support, and it's a great deal. Uh, we'll talk about the details of the Kickstarter campaign in the interview, and we just also talk about uh, the ongoing conversation of more diversity in comics and, uh, you know, what the big two does right and wrong. Kwanzaa was also uh, the editor-in-chief of uh, Zuda Comics and uh, the guy that uh, brought a lot of those great creative voices together for Zuda, the digital initiative of DC Comics. It's fun to look back at that as well, and we do. So uh, it was a really interesting conversation with Kwanzaa. I'm happy to share it with you on today's Word Balloon. It's brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, as always, for your support. Um, if you uh, feel that you would want to uh, subscribe to Word Balloon in a, in a monetary way, uh, if you go to my front page of wordballoon.com, there's a, a link to Patreon. And if you can uh, spare a buck a month or so, that would be terrific. You know, I think Word Balloon uh, provides a lot more hours of uh, comic book culture conversation uh, that uh, I think is, you know, worth a, a comic book price or, or less. Whatever you can spare. That's terrific. I appreciate the support. And I thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Uh, there are great deals that are happening now at InStock Trades on some really great books. Uh, things like the uh, Prez trade paperback. I think one of the more interesting books that uh, came out of DC in uh, 2015, Corn Dog in Chief is uh, the title of Volume 1, and it's on sale for 50% off, $7.49. Lazarus, Volume 4, Poison. Greg Ruck and I talked about that. His excellent book with Michael Lark and company. 45% off, just $8.24. There's Insufferable uh, from Peter Krause and Mark Wade and IDW. Uh, that book is 30% off, just $13.99. Or you can also get Superior Foes of Spider-Man Omnibus, Featuring uh, Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber, that very cool series. Inc. Uh, a complete volume is 50% off, just $24.99. And that's all waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. So uh, check out all the great deals that are happening now at InStockTrades. All right, let's get our uh, conversation started with Kwanzaa. It was uh, a lot of fun, and, and I think we went into interesting uh, points, and I think you'll enjoy it. So uh, here's that conversation now on Word Balloon. Kwanzaa Osagifo, welcome to Word Balloon, and uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you about this very interesting book that uh, you, Tim Smith, and Jamal Igel have coming out. Oh, it's great talking to you, too. I should mention Kari Randolph as well on covers, because he's awesome. 
Absolutely. I mean, the the cover that he did for us has just been like showing up all over the internet. I've seen it in my own feed like so many times. It's just really awesome. Hey, seriously, congratulations on the amount of publicity I think you guys got out of the box. A Washington Post uh, article? Yeah, yeah. Man, that's that's heavy shit, man. I mean, even even in today's dwindling newspapers and stuff, you know, that's there's a lot of eyeballs there, so that's fantastic. And uh, clearly it's helped because you've started your Kickstarter campaign. It's only been going on for a couple days, and uh, we want you to make as much money as possible in the 30 days, but you're you're close to your goal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really did think, you know, we were going to be grinding for like 30 days, essentially, you know, trying to get eyeballs on it. But I, I think the response to it has been just like so awesome and amazing. It really sort of validates what I thought was like, you know, a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I came up with Black Lake almost more than 10 years ago, and I just kind of sat on it, you know, and it just seemed to be more and more relevant every day. <laughs> and sure, you know, the time Understood. the time finally felt like it was right to do it. Well, as as you say, you sat on it. So, am I right? You did. You do have a background at DC Comics. I do. I do. Tell so me. I, I, I worked at DC for around uh, six years. Um, it was my it was my second tour of duty in comics, as I like to call it. Um, oh, okay. But I, go on. Uh, they. They brought me in to be a digital editor, and I worked on their first online imprint, uh, only Zuda. online imprint, Zuda. Yeah, and hell yeah, and it was it was a really great experience. It was six wonderful, awesome years. I got to work with some really amazing creative talent, like you know Jeremy Love, Molly Crabapple, David Galler, Steve Ellis, like all just like amazing, amazing talents. Um, Sheldon Vella, uh, Kanan Grawl, Daniel Goglar, just all of these new uh, voices that you didn't see you know, in mainstream comics. And we were able to like elevate these people, you know, to, to, to these new audiences who were like really hungry for something outside of, you know, our beloved suits and, you know, jumpsuits and capes. <laughs> no, I agree. And I, and I really love Zuda and want to get into the, the nitty gritty of, of what happened there, because you're right. Uh, I did a video interview with Jeremy Love back when Bayou came out and uh, David and Steve have been on, uh, to talk about High Moon and uh, their a, a few of their projects since, um, but uh, I haven't had Molly on. But no, I honestly uh, Zuda just uh, everything. Bobby Timoy uh, had had a great uh, didn't he, uh, he? He and his brother didn't they have a oh yeah? A they had the Night Owls, which was just this great yeah. you know, like sort of like classic strip that you know it was oddly modern. <laughs> That's what was like like yep. great about it. Like it had this amazing pacing to it, and I I, I had to say like out of all. of the series like uh the night owls was like the most web comics web comic out of all of the series <laughs> that's cool no i honestly I, I really appreciated uh the diversity in people and styles that that zuda that zuda represented and stuff so did you ever think of you know i mean i know that things went bad fast at zuda i've heard that from steve and david for example i mean we've mm -hmm. talked since and stuff but you know was it was it just a um I mean, why did why'd you sit on black and not and not pitch it as a DC comic, for example? Well, I mean, to, to be honest, like the reason that I've I've worked in online and digital sort of started when you know I was an intern at Marvel, and I okay, I, that's how I got my start. Like fresh out of college, hired there, just straight out of college, and around what what era? Uh, around 1999. So like like Ooh. post bankruptcy, yeah, it was fresh. It, oh, post though, yeah, post. So okay, yeah, so this was okay. like right before Bill Jemis came in. But I mean, at the time, like you know, comics had taken a really 
heavy hit and they were still yep. recovering from it. And it was just such an interesting time to be there. One, because, you know, coming in there as like a bright eyed, like kid fresh out of college, you know, it gave me like a very real world, <laughs> you know, in-depth experience of like, no, this is what comics are like. They're not made by like Keebler elves. These yeah. are people, <laughs> you know, like, like this, is, sure. this is people's livelihoods and their job, you know. And what, uh, what, what kind of things did you do for him? So I worked uh, down in online and, and basically it was like coding. Like I was a, a online production uh, assistant and I, pay, I basically posted everything on the website. And this is back before we had oh. like front end, you know, applications that could help you do that. So I was hand sure. coding everything <laughs> and putting wow. it online. Okay. It was really great. Cause I mean, and they had interns doing this. Holy shit. Well, I, you know, I started as an intern. It was mostly just just like, you know, here, do crappy intern work, but it's like, here, take a stab at this or write a little bit of copy. And that I showed an aptitude for it and an interest in it. So I would just sit back in like, what was the pit downstairs and just read through okay. like HTML books. So I just learned how to code and sure, showed sure. that I was capable. And it really made me fall in love with um, online as a, as a platform for telling stories. So, you know, very early on, I got into like, you know, like web comics and stuff like Scott Kurtz and all that stuff. And okay. it was really funny because that's where I met a comicsology's co-founder, John Roberts. So that's how, oh. that's how we became friends. And so, you know, we worked at a company together and we really just had, you know, became like best friends because we really love comics. We're both like super dorky and stuff. <laughs> so, you know, it's did a Mar friendship that Did we... Marvel pay it? Did Marvel pay for the coding? Did they pay for the coding? Yeah. Like when, once you showed this aptitude and you were doing the coding and stuff. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, that's, uh, that's when I was job? hired on, you know. It's just sort of okay. like, hey, you're an intern. And I'm like, hey, but I can do the thing. So <laughs> they're like, great. And they brought me on as they started trying to like flesh out the online department again. Okay. And, okay. Yeah. And so I did that for two years and, you know, uh, you know, tried to help like foster like new online content, worked with John on like the dot comics, which was, you know, their first foray into doing like digital comics and stuff like that. So it was really interesting. Um, remind me, remind me of some of the content that they were putting out. There. So this was right when they started uh, launching Ultimate. So, you know, we were basically taking the Ultimate comics and basically doing what I, you know, I think were the, like the, the, the seeds for what would become comicsology later on. So it was you know, very motion panel driven, like online web comics that were all like done in flash at the time. Okay. Cause I do remember uh, a Captain America flash video yeah. series over there around yeah. that time. And um, were you, were you uh, uh, condensing the ultimate stories uh, to, to do, or were they, were they full issues? Uh, they were full issues. So it was really kind of like, you know, it, it was definitely like trial and error. We, like, we were in new territory, so this had never been sure. done before. And it was like taking a technology and applying it to an older medium and seeing if it would still translate. And I think, sure. you know, considering it was 1999 when we first did that, it was it was definitely, you know, an experience where it's just like, oh, we didn't get that right quite the first time, but we learned from it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Groundbreaking shit. That's fantastic. Yeah. And so that kind of wow. set the tone for me. It's like I really like – you know, became focused on, you know, digital and online as a platform. So, you know, I left Marvel and, you know, worked at a bunch of different like companies like, you know, eMarketer and then about.com and just really focused on online mm -hmm. content and content marketing. Um, okay. And the DC thing came up and, and, you know, I went and inter interviewed with Ron Peraza and it was a funny interview because he was talking and he, he asked me, he was like, so you're like, so what do you think of the position? Cause he described, you know, what would be Zuda? And I thought it was just going to be a regular online editor job and I, I look at ron and i say oh I'm, I'm sorry i thought i was talking the entire time because that's exactly the job that i want <laughs> <laughs> and so for the next like three months while they were like trying to like you know get things together and stuff like that i essentially just harassed him like every week saying like still available gonna be available next week too <laughs>
Wow. Until like uh, until I got that job. And, you know, they chose me because I just, you know, had that experience in online content and comic books and marrying those things together were really what, you know, I, I think helped bring Zuda together. Um, and, and it really gave me an opportunity to do something because, you know, from what I knew of comics at Marvel and also just, you know, being in being in the industry and knowing people in the industry, I knew that this could be something where we could explore, you know, where we could do a lot of different things. And you know, Paul, Paul Levitz was really great in like giving us the freedom to do that. You know, Zuda was extremely unique in comparison to other imprints uh, at DC and he really championed it and supported it. How long did Zuda last? Um, I'd say uh, about five years, four years. That's years? amazing. Cause it did about- seem like a, yeah, I think thinking back, it felt like a blink. So five years is a pretty significant amount of time. And I know, uh, you know, several several series did manage to create the equivalent of a couple graphic novels as well. Yeah, and and that kind of came like you know, in within like the the last year, we knew we needed to you know um, come up with some sort of way to like generate revenue. I think the the one big lesson that I, I learned from Zuda, and you know, I I brought it up early on in the process, but we decided to be ad free. Like later on, I was like, yeah, we should have definitely you know run run ad banners and stuff on the site because you know by the time we had hit like our good stride in the first year we were you know bringing in a million uniques every month mm-hmm. you know i believe it and you know it's you know and it could have built to even more i mean it's essentially online free content that we were doing for the equivalent of like one series in the dcu like that was yeah. our budget like you could make wow. you could make one dcu comic for a year on what we did for the entire zoo <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it, we, uh, we, we, we really like, you know, made our dollars work for us. And you know, it, it was a great community, too. I, I think one of the more interesting things about Zuda was that, you know, for something that was online, it, we didn't have very many trolls. Um, we didn't have too many people who were detracting. It, it was sort of like this organic friendly environment of like creative people who are really rooting for each other, even w- when they were competing against each other. And out of that, like I formed a lot of friendships, you know, people who I'm still friends with today. I'm still in communication with all of the creators. I'm still friends with them. I just hung out with uh, like Kevin Colden last night who had done, um, I rule the night for Zuda. And so, you know, these, okay. these guys became my friends. Like I, I truly respected the work that they were doing. And what ha- what happened to Jeremy Love? Because my God, that didn't knock me out. I'm I'm guessing animation. Yeah. So I, I I haven't spoken to Jeremy in a while about like what he's doing creatively, but I did find out that he and most of the Zuda guys got the rights back to their properties. So I think fantastic. I think he's at work, you know, trying to bring out that third uh, volume of Bayou, which I think you know right now, you know, around now would be a good time for people to see that. Agreed. Book from absolutely. Now. Yeah, man, it's a it it is that kind of mind blowing art and just a beautiful story that you're right. I think is you know still of you know more more timely than ever. Yeah, because it was it was certainly uh, this great left field kind of book. I mean, that was the great thing about Zuda, like you said in general. I mean, it didn't reflect that traditional DC superhero line. Um, it was as ambitious as Vertigo, I think, and in a different way because. You know, you had a, a little bit of, of, say, Sandman Mystery Theater, mm-hmm. I suppose, could sit next to Night Owls. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think could, you know, they could occupy the same shelf. And I don't think anyone would blink. And I could, I would recommend uh, Night Owls to a, a Sandman Mystery Theater reader, I think, back then and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, no, it was, 
it was a lot of people doing very different things, great different art styles, new writers, and and yeah, this very cool influx of creative uh, creative people. Yeah. And, yeah, and I mean that was my mission. I mean, aside from people being able to submit to Zuda, you know, I'm, I'm I actively tried to recruit talent. Like when I would go to cons, like I spent most of my time in Artist Alley. Um, cool. Or taking meetings with like new talent and trying to bring in new voices and do different things uh, in comics, and you know, it, I, I think the the you know talking about Bayou again, I, I think that's one of the books that like you know I'm most disappointed, you know, didn't really catch on internally, you know, and I, I, in DC, yeah, at DC, you know, I mean, you know, DC is is you know was a little bit siloed back then. I, I think they you know tried to integrate quite a bit more these days or at least before i was leaving that was you know an attempt Ex- explain the analogy when you say they were siloed so i mean vertigo was vertigo dcu was dcu and zuda was zuda you know and even though you know um vertigo was print and they would sit in on editorial meetings like we were separate and they kind of like you know they just they just played in their own pool with their own toys you know and and, mm-hmm. and things didn't really like cross over and you know it was this sort of thing where it's like, you know, we had our own separate marketing budget and we had our own separate, you know, we, we just weren't part of the, the ball team essentially. Um, and I, I think that kind of sucked because, you know, when you work for a company that is underneath Warner brothers and has all this power to really like, you know, put people's eyeballs on something and they just kind of don't, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, having something like Bayou in your catalog and being able to like, you know, get people's eyes on it, you know, is just beneficial to the business, you know? So, Absolutely. So that, yeah. that was always like a very strange thing to me, but you know, in my experience working in digital, you know, I also too just separated myself from like the print world very much and on purpose because I, I knew those attitudes kind of were there. And, you know, I had the fortune of, you know, being in a department where I could do what I wanted. Like Zuda was me doing exactly what I wanted. So that's cool. there was also the part two where it's just like, oh, do I want to be on your radar? No, because then you're going to find out that I put out something like Supertron. <laughs> 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 Which, P.S., there's a lot of like genitalia in this. You just can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, I was I got to say that I think it was 2007 uh, at New York Comic Con. Alex Segura is the guy I was doing uh, video and uh, using the audio for, for Word Balloon, but also doing video for Newsarama. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Alex came over and he's like, dude, you got to talk to Jeremy Love. And I'm like, oh, yeah, by you. I really haven't had a chance to to see it. And he's like, here. And he gave it to me. And he's like, he's like, seriously, he's like, this is a great book. This should not be ignored. He's like, would you do an interview? I'm like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Jeremy couldn't have been cooler. We talked, I, I, you know, and then I, and then I really didn't, didn't read the full, I didn't read the second volume, but I read the first one. And again, it's just beautiful. I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculously uh, beautiful. And yeah, should, you're right. It should have gotten more attention back then. I guess, unfortunately, there was that digital stigma that, you know, it wasn't just comics. It was happening podcasting as well. I mean, good God, podcasting yeah. is just, you know, finally starting to get some acceptance and it's, you know, 10 years old, 11 years old now. Yeah. It's it's kind of kind of crazy. So, yeah, I think that digi- – I think certainly the uh, – you would agree the traditional media uh, certainly wasn't about to welcome digital media with open arms. No, not at all. And it's funny. I mean it, it's sort of like the, the running joke among like creatives and comic book people. It's just like you got to put your 10 years in. It's like you got exactly. to do it for Absolutely. 10 years before anybody pays attention to what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. And another thing too, honestly, the same thing happened with comic strips and comic books. Yeah. 
and the comic strip, you know, uh, historically, you know, they would the, the strip writers and, and artists would look look down at the comic book guys. That was slumming it. You know, it really was even even back in the 30s and 40s. Yeah, so. and I mean, it, and it's really funny, especially like when you see you know companies really you know especially major publishers trying to diversify now. Like the whole DCU movement was just sort of like, yeah, like we were doing that 10 years ago, guys. But uh, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> where do you well and i wanted to talk about that where where do you think um where do you think so are you talking about last summer's dcu failure or yeah are you, yeah yeah okay because i'll and i yeah i'm curious about that but uh well let's start with that where 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 do you think it went wrong this year uh i think where it went wrong is that you know and and maybe i'm being a little like you know hypercritical and stuff but i i, I don't i don't feel that like dc has the bench that can necessarily produce that kind of work you know and just throwing freelancers on it when you don't intrinsically have people whose minds are like attuned to that kind of content isn't going to produce the best results so someone like myself who you know loves superheroes but i'm very much into the indie culture i'm very much into web comics you know producing something like bayou night owls you know and high moon that just comes natural to me it's like left hand right hand but when you've got like an entire editorial team that you know for the past like who, like what 20 years you know or however has just been doing superhero comics and then you tell them to try and like sort of rub some you know background on it yeah like that they don't necessarily have those chops <laughs> and to put it in like real context it's like that's why you see the difference between like what mark doyle was able to bring to batgirl and with gotham academy and how those are authentic and organic and and really you know are strong books but when you pull it into like you know other editorial teams it, this just it just doesn't hold up you know? I, I I absolutely agree. I think honestly, uh, is it Gustavo uh, Garveria who uh, was it Gustavo Garveria who did uh, Bizarro with Heath Corson? Because uh, I really thought, um, no, it wasn't. Excuse me. And I and I'm gosh, I don't know. And I'm I'll, I'll look it up. But uh, Bizarro with Heath and Gustavo. Uh, Gustavo's a beautiful artist, and I think uh-huh. that book was only going to you know it it was it was more of an art book, and I mean it really was something that would sit better on an independent shelf than a DC shelf. And I think in some cases, I agree with you that um, it was change for change's sake mm-hmm. without any real passion or anything, some of those failures. I also think that some of these books were good, but also were only going to reach that indie market level. And I think for DC and Marvel, they, there's just that demarcation line of, let's call it 20,000 you know, books sold, that uh, if we're not hitting that, you're canceled. And I right. and I really think a lot of decent, uh, or I shouldn't say a lot because I, I agree with you. I don't think there were, I don't think there was a lot of of great uh, new books, but some of them and stuff. Yeah, that you know, like Prez and stuff like that. There was something interesting going on there, but again, I don't think it reached that audience where you know DC's like, all right, I'm going. And you know, it's just that was the frustration for me for last year was, yeah, you got some bold ideas here. Are you going to give it time to really grow an audience? The answer was no. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think so. You know, I mean, God, even Gotham Academy and that kind of clung on. Batgirl was certainly a hit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Palmiotti and uh, and Amanda and company doing Harley Quinn is a hit, but you know, they tried to, uh, you know, obviously duplicate that with Starfire, and uh, you know, who knows where Starfire's future is? Yeah. It's the same team. And I and I think and I think that's kind of like you know one of DC's you know hurdles as a company is that that's what they try to do. They try to duplicate. So if you look at something like Batgirl, like I know Cameron, he's a really good friend of mine and I know, you know, he 
he's the kind of person who came to them. He drew this. He said like, Hey, look, this is what I could do with Batgirl. Mm-hmm. So there was like, there was like that drive and that passion with him to like work with Babs Tar, work with Brendan Fletcher and bring together like mm-hmm. this story that was going to be super awesome. And Mark Doyle like to recognize it and be like, yeah, it was super dope. Whereas, you know, taking it and rubbing it across the entire company, you know, that's, that's just a gimmick at that point. You know, it's like maybe Starfire doesn't need her own comic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, no, I agree with you on that. And, yeah. you know, it, 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 start, it turns into something that's a bit pandering when you, when you take that approach. And, you know, if, if you look at DC's track record, they've sort of done that previously. Like, you know, when Jeff Johns first, like, hit with, like, Green Lanterns, you could see, like, you know, he was building towards something. And then once it became popular, then everybody had a freaking ring. You know, and yeah. it was just like the rainbow yes. wars all over everything. And, you know, it, it was fun. It was definitely an adventure. And like Jeff is like such an amazing storyteller when it comes to superheroes and just like giving you mm-hmm. like these grand adventures and stuff. But and, and I'm glad he had enough control to like know when to like, you know, let it run its course. <laughs> you know, it was like, Agreed. OK, we've done it. We've done enough of this. But, you know, that's kind of like the gameplay. It's like you take one thing and then you try to do it all over everything. And it, it just it, 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 it's not about the storytelling at that point. You know, and just to go back to Zuda, it's like like that's that's what was there. It's like we were trying to tell a story. When you when you create a comic book from you know that principle, I, I feel like that's when you're going to have the most success. And you know, something like you you mentioned with Bizarro, there's also just the you know comic book publishing model where it's always about the like long long term serial. Like you know, if they had maybe like you know put their money together for a book like Bizarro and said like, all right, we're going to do six issues. We assume like the drop off is probably going to happen after like, you know, two or three, but we want to get this whole book together so that we then have like something for the trade market. And then, and then, you know, let it, let it be that way. Because one of the strong things that DC always would do is like put out great books like, you know, Dark Knight Returns, you know, things that were yep. outside of the DC universe. And those are always, always their top sellers, like Watchmen, all those books. That's DC is the company that brought that to comics. Like the, Agreed. the mature, like, take on superheroes, a smart take on superheroes. And, you know, now it's just more like, you know, a Play-Doh factory. Uh. Yeah, I understand. No, you're right about that. By the way, Gustavo Duarte, because I wanted to give the guy credit, (laughs) is really exceptional. And and also that was a miniseries as well. And now the hope was that they could do a second one. I don't know what the plan is. I have a feeling it didn't hit those numbers again that they they want to. And a lot of those things were kind of experimental. But that's the thing. I, I really feel like these kind of special books that they tried to do, they just weren't given the gestation time to, to find a, find a proper audience. Marvel's just as bad. You know, it's, it's first issue. And if you don't get those orders, then your ongoing has turned into a limited series. It just happened to Frank Thierry with his black Knight, And I'll admit, I haven't had a chance to really even look at it yet. It's two issues in and yeah, sorry guys, we're out at five and it's like, okay. And again, I mean, I get that. And you're right about the Play-Doh factory. That's, that's something that I'm interested in because I saw a quote in the Washington Post article that you talked about Miles Morales and Sam Wilson. <laughs> and, and, and no, you know, honestly, I, 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 that's valid, man. It's your, you know, that's your opinion and everything. And I want to – let me see if I can bring that up. Oh, you know, of course, I had, I had all, of, uh, all of Kwanzaa's uh, articles up and then I had to reboot and now, of course um, – everything's closed oh, but do you fine. remember what, you know yeah i mean well no because yeah you know yeah if you want to like tell me tell me your 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 issues or, or whatever your thoughts are on say the depictions of sam wilson and the depictions of miles morales right so i wouldn't even i wouldn't even call it an issue so much as something that's just representative of like you know current comic book culture i mean i, I definitely okay. have to give like kudos to marvel like they've they've made effort 
to diversify their catalog. They've taken their brands and, you know, taken real chances on them by doing things like making characters like Miles Morales, doing things like, you know, making Sam Wilson into Captain America. Uh, Mm -hmm. If I were to really, like, you know, speak to, you know, the quote that you're talking about, you know, both of those characters aren't really all that different, you know, and they're not all that different in the sense that like Sam Wilson is an exceptional black man, even if he doesn't have his wings on miles Morales, Morales is an exceptional black teenager, even if he doesn't have spider powers and they're kind of like the same, you know, the same person. One's just younger. (laughs) So they don't really represent all the diversity that if you look across like an Avengers classic lineup, you know, where it's like, okay, Bruce Banner's a scientist turns into the raging Hulk, you know, Thor is a God and um, Captain America is a soldier. Iron Man's an industrialist. And then you look at their personalities. You're like drunk, you know, rage issues, God, you know, old war horse, <laughs> you know, and it's just, there's more variety, right. but what can you really say is the variety and a distinguishing thing between like Sam and, you know, miles aside from teenager, not Captain America, Falcon guy. And they they just are very kind of cookie cutter. And I I feel like a lot of that comes from, yes, we want to put, you know, a brown skin person in the forefront and stuff, but we don't have quite the knowledge or the experience in talking about what really, what it really means for these people to exist in the Marvel universe. And, you know, I I think in part because there isn't an issue of race in the Marvel universe. Not really. I mean, when has that ever come up in a universe where, you know, you've got galactic, problems and mutants and inhumans and stuff like that are you really telling me that there's people out there who are like hating on black guys like it's like the context of it gets kind of like lost Um, understood well well the times that they have try to uh address it directly because obviously you you know would you say obviously mutants are kind of a you know uh analogy for racism yeah okay and yeah you know i you know and it's fair because you did you said they make play-doh and i'm not trying to use your own words against you but i and i appreciate this discussion because i i just i want to get a better understanding too i you know i sometimes wonder if they are capable of really getting that political with race it's a shame because there was a time that they could but you could say that about media in general yeah and in this kind of pc world where there is many people on the left that can be offended as there are on the right it's almost like asking how come McDonald's isn't giving me a steak dinner here. Right. Because and, I agree with you. You know, it's Play-Doh. And I wonder if because of the nature of what they produce – and again, like Marvel, Brubaker, you know, makes Cap a little political. They slap him down. Yeah. And and let's not forget um, even um, Truth, the great uh, Kyle Baker and Robert Morales, Captain America story. That's the real – that to me is the last time yeah. that I think they really – And that was really – You know, put that Tuskegee experiment, yeah. you know, uh, analogy to the Captain America super soldier uh, story. And that was a funny story because I, I happened to be within earshot when that was, you know, being concocted. And that was, you know, an idea spawned out of Bill Jemison. Bill's a character, you know, and he – he, he's kind of zany, he shot straight from the hip and, you know, would just say things like, okay, so super soldier serum back in like, you know, the World War II, you really think they would test that out on a white guy first? Wow. <laughs> and, and wow, and said, Je- really? Uh, it, it came from Jemis first? Yeah, and, and it's the kind of and, and it's the kind of thing where you're like, oh, I would be offended, but yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, yeah, but that, that's what I mean. I mean, it's and, and, and I can appreciate both reactions. Exactly. It's like, gosh, that is really an embarrassing moment for, for American history and stuff. But it's like it happened. And right. Let's let's address it, which is that's bullshit, man. That's yeah. really bold. 
And so, like, when I look at characters like, you know, Miles Morales, it's like, look, I, I understand what they represent, and I, I personally love them, and I very much enjoyed it. I enjoyed Bendis' entire run of Miles in the Ultimate Universe, you know, and, and I just think that, you know, like, because Marvel doesn't have a, enough black editorial staff, and, you know, don't hold me to that because I don't know all of their staff, but to my knowledge, they don't. You know, who, who's there to really champion and understand, like, the nuances of, like, color and race, especially when you sort of put them out in the forefront like that in the context of Spider-Man's black now? Well, what does that mean? If it doesn't have meaning in the story itself, then what context and meaning is it really supposed to have in the exterior other than marketing? You know, other than I do- he's black now. Yay. And I'm like, okay, well if that doesn't really mean anything, I mean, that's great. And like, let's like, let him be black. He's a perfectly awesome character, but then that's it. You know, then you get like, you know, like Theodore Huxtable swinging around on, you know, a web and that's fine too. Cause that is one aspect of blackness, but you know, the variety doesn't exist. You know, I, I, I appreciate that, but I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think Miles is a Huxtable character. I think the Huxtables were a privileged black family and Miles came from, uh, you know, a, well, family that obviously suffered when his mom died. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was—he's an inner city kid. He was being put into, and you know, shame on me. I grew up on the burbs. We didn't have <laughs> these kind of schools, my you know, back in my neighborhood. But um, I'm forgetting the phrase when you know they—they they, you really have to kind of test it to get into a, a charter a good school. school. Yeah, say it again. A charter school. A charter school. Thank yeah. you. Exactly. Um, but- and yeah, you know, I mean, that's the, so uh, those things to me at least spoke of an inner city experience. That, you know, certainly wasn't Peter Parker's experience or, you know, the average white character's experience. But I'll I'll take some exception with that, because the thing about Peter Parker is that, like, you know, he he grew up poor. You know, he was always hustling for money and stuff, you know, and I and I and I look at it like this and I say, like, okay, well, this is great. And you probably don't want to depict, you know, uh, Miles Morales coming from a broken home, even though his mom died and stuff like that and kind of became like his, his like Uncle Ben, you know, <laughs> to, you know, in the story. True. It's like, True. you know, if if you were to go on averages and find yourself like the typical black kid in, in the inner city, would he reflect Miles Morales? You know, and it's like, can you have somebody, a, a Brian Michael Bendis, tell that sort of story? Um, and I don't think it has to be told, but it's just something that as me as a black person – I look at that sure. and I say, like, here's this great character. He's exemplary, exemplary and, and he does, you know, represent something heroic in it, and he's aspirational. But that's just very one note to me because then, well, oh, Sam Wilson is also aspirational, and so is Blue Marvel, and so is, mm-hmm. you know, um, Luke, Cage. Luke Cage, and so is, like, Black Panther. But, you know, there was a time where, you know, like, Tony Stark was a drunk. There was a time right. when... Right. You know, Ant Man was slapping the wasp around, and that's there's, right. And there's there's this sort of hurdle at, at Marvel where it's like you can't tell that story with a black character because people will be all over you. And the reason you can't tell that story with a black character is because one, you wouldn't know how to. I don't know that you have anybody who would be able to write that sort of story or get that deep into like you know, like how that story is told, and you'd be terrified too. Like, because then you feel like people are going to come after you. I mean, people already came after him for the hip hop covers. Well, there you go. Exactly. And that, and honestly, this is the thing, and I'm not excusing DC or Marvel per se, but I do get when they are um, a small part of the conglomerates that they are, that, you know, exist. I don't know. What's the last edgy Disney movie I, that I right. can think of, you know, I mean, and, and 
Warner Brothers, I, I don't know. I'd have to really kind of look and see, you know, what what they've put out. But I think, you know, the, and especially given that these are – that the primary product of both Marvel and DC are T-shirts, birthday cakes. Right. You know, I mean it's it's that kind of stuff. And I I mean that's the thing. I totally agree with you that there should be more stories like this. I don't know if DC and Marvel are the right place. And again, I'm not saying I got the answer. But that's that's where I come back and I'm like – I don't know, but I totally agree, and I, I mean, that's the thing. I want the, all this representation to happen in comics, and I think it's wonderful that people like you guys and a lot of other creator-owned people are like, you know something? Um, I think there's an audience for this. If they want to leave money on the table, so be it. I'm going to pick up that. And that's exactly and, how and, I kind of looked at it. I was like, wow, you guys are just leaving this whole – like, so because of the Fox, no X-Men? All right, I think I'm going to go after that bit. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's great. I mean, honestly, yeah. I think I think that's terrific, man. Because yeah. you're right. I think there's there are thousands of stories still to be told. We're, you know, I mean, that's the thing. They were scratching the surface when they were creating Black Panther and Bill Foster and you know right. some of these other uh, you know characters and stuff. So no, I, that's that's fantastic. So and you got great Jesus Christ, you, you know, you got a nice murderous row of uh, of creators doing this and stuff, and you know Tim and. Uh, and, and Jamal and, and Kari and stuff. I mean, that's great. And so, and, and yourself. So, so tell us about black. Cause this then brings us to black. Right. And, uh, and you know, uh, give us, give us the pitch. Right. So, I mean, the log line for black pretty much like sums it up. It's like, what if only black people had superpowers mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I came up with the concept 10 years ago, being a comic fan myself and having grown up in like reading books, like, you know, X-Men and Fantastic Four and, you know, Batman and stuff. And the the thing that stuck out about X-Men, which I think a lot of kids gravitated towards in like 80s and the 90s, was like, you know, they were outsiders and they were like outcasts. And it was like an allegory for like racism because, you know, like modern society just was bigoted towards mutants. And there was a point where, you know, as as an adult with a more mature mindset, I thought, to myself, I was like, well, you know what? If if Colossus would just stop changing into a big metal dude, he could just go live a normal freaking life. Like nobody's <laughs> nobody's gonna pull Colossus over because he's driving a nice car. Like yeah. Colossus yeah. does not have Chris Rock problems. <laughs> you know, so no, you're right. It's you're this right. sort of thing where you know I started looking at them in the context of the universe that they were trying to tell the story and thought, like, well, wait a second, how come Iron Man gets to be Iron Man or even the Hulk? you know, has his moments where he's kind of accepted by society, but let like Jean Grey, like levitate a muffin and the people lose their shit. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what? So a hot girl can like with red hair, just like levitated a muffin and you're all ready to burn her down. <laughs> it's like, that makes no sense to me. And, and knowing that it was a, you know, an allegory for them, even almost, even almost to the point of them being called X-Men and being created in the sixties when my, like, you know, um, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X were like, you know, really like fighting against like segregation and racial injustice. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. It, it, it stuck out to me to, to say like, what if I put this into like the actual context text that we all understand? Because I think we all understand that like, yes, we still have race problems in the United States. Yes, it is still not safe for a young black man to walk through a neighborhood that, that you know, somebody thinks he doesn't live in. That he'd get killed by not just the police yeah. officer – you know, but just by a citizen like that still yes. exists. Like that's real. So yes, it is. it's something it is. it's something that I wanted to, you know, take my love of comics and put a sci fi spin on. But, you know, connected to something that we all understand, you know, that that, 
you know, is part of our actual real life and that we could really like look at and say like, oh yeah, that is, is, is a dangerous sort of question. That's a, that's a precarious concept when you really think about it. And whenever I've, you know, given that one liner to people, I, I see it just like kind of like light, you know, brain synapses off. They're just like, oh, oh yeah, 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 that, 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 that would be a problem. <laughs> And, you know, what that problem is has so many different perspectives, you know, like, who's it a problem for? And one of the things I explore in the story is that, you know, it's a it's it's a small population that, you know, is expressing these powers. And they're really just trying to survive because, you know, it's something that's been happening for like, you know, the past like four, four or five centuries. And, you know, world governments have really tried to suppress this and keep this under wraps. Oh, cool. And, oh, that's wow. Great. And okay. there's. And, and so there's this lead, and, and so the, your point of view character is, is Kareem Jenkins, and Kareem's just you know an average kid, inner city, you know, wouldn't, okay. he's not good, he's not bad, and you know he happens to just be in the wrong place in the wrong time where police think he and his friends, you know, fit a certain profile on an APB, and they're, they're kids, they get scared, they try to run, and the police just sort of gun them down, and you know Kareem unfortunately he's the only one who survives he springs back to life in the back of an ambulance completely unscathed and just bolts you know jumps out of a moving ambulance i mean you wake up from being like gunned down a hail of bullets you're gonna freak out and he and he runs and the, and the police give chase and, and he hides you know in this abandoned factory and that's when he's approached by this man named juncture who pretty much tells him it's like look you know you have two choices you can try and take your chances dealing with something that you really don't understand, or you can come with me and, 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 and possibly live through this. And, you know, I don't think there's too many people who would say like, yeah, you know what? No, yeah, I'm going to go with the mysterious guy because what's waiting out there for me (laughs) isn't a better choice. So a a banana could walk in the door and I'd be like, okay, banana, (laughs) let's, let's go. And, and that sort of like, you know, um, you know, snowballs the story and juncture brings him into his, you know, sort of underground railroad um, organization. That's this okay. global group of um, people like Kareem and himself who have powers who find other people like them and just basically try to get them out of the system. They, you know, the U S government, because this story takes place in uh, New York primarily, but in the United States has their own division and their own program that tries to identify, you know, uh, black people when they express powers and essentially, you know, bring them like under government control. Um, and one of the other characters who works with them is this man is a guy called Theodore Mann. He's a billionaire industrialist and he's, his family has worked as contractors with the United States government for centuries, uh, essentially, you know, trying to crack the code and understand why it's only black people that have these powers. And it's sort of been his, passion to really like you know dissect and find out what this is and you know he made is he makes some pretty grim choices <laughs> is theodore an african-american as well no he is not he he is okay he, he is caucasian um and, right, he's one of my guys all right yeah and, <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> and oh, that's he, cool. he's liaisoned with like two operatives uh, agent washington and agent um adams who you know pretty much act as field agents like finding these people identifying and securing them you know using all okay. sorts of like interesting technology uh, to do so and it basically becomes like sort of like a cat and mouse game between like these two oppositions with the third player being a very mysterious terrorist named O, who is like, I guess I would like make him the equivalent of like, you know, the, the Malcolm X character by any means necessary, who's really, Ooh, you know, okay. during that, during that era of Malcolm X before he went off to Mecca, 
was was very willing yes. to you know go against the system and the status quo in order to like you know preserve his kinfolk and so yes. you, you've got these opposing forces like working against each other and yet at the same time all of them are very invested in this not bubbling to the public knowledge because you know w- that's just a powder keg so it's kind of like this you know interesting clandestine war and struggle that's going on between all of these factions and and Kareem's just like our point of view into this world and uh yeah it, it's a it's a fun story to explore because it, it just has so many implications i think it sets up a universe too that you know fine you know Kareem is your first story but you know you, there's a thousand possible reactions to that kind of discovery of oneself right. if you've got those abilities and like you say i mean you know Kareem is not neither good nor bad so i'm sure he will show more than one reaction to this power uh, thing and part, part wish fulfillment and part uh, vengeance. And uh, it'll be, and I think this is, yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot of story there. So that's great, man. Nice, th- nice going. Absolutely. It sounds cool. And that, and that's kind of what I tell people about is like, this allows to tell that variety of story and perspective, because when you, you, when you look across like, you know, black people in America, you know, everybody has a different perspective on race. Everybody has a different background, even though they're often, you know, we're often categorized into like this one group or this one lump. And if you take somebody from one, you know, and like, like, oh, and then you take another character like Juncture, they have very, very different views on, you know, how to approach this situation and how to deal with it. And so Juncture, you know, he's, he used to work for the government, he used to help like them, you know, secure these people and decided that they weren't doing it the right way. And that like, he was putting his own people in danger. But he's also a man of peace and knows that, you know, there's, we're not at an advantage here, even though like we can fly and shoot laser beams out of our eyes, like, you know, going like with the rest of the world, like, you know, not having those abilities, this is not going to work out. So it's better to like try and figure out a way to like, you know, keep things peaceful. And you know, it, it's a philosophical conflict, you know, between them and, and, and Kareem's in the middle of that and trying to decide like what, you know, what's his perspective on it. And we're right there with him. Um, and some other interesting things about it too, you know, people have asked me like the very questions that I'll explore and they're like, well, what is, if it's only black people, what does it mean if you're biracial? And I was like, good question. We'll explore that in the story. <laughs> um, and, I'll, and I'll even give you a teaser. Like I haven't really talked about too many other characters, but one of the characters who's sort of uh, Juncture's right-hand man is a character named Zero and Zero is albino. Um, and you know, he's, he has powers too. So I really try to like, you know, show that breadth and depth of like this, this is, this is what, this is what black is. (laughs) And you're not gonna, you're not gonna have like four of the same guy, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not the black guy on the super team. It's like a whole bunch of black women, you know, from different backgrounds. That's excellent. No, man, I honestly, I think this is a very cool universe that you've set up. And I think that there's a lot of, like I said, I think there are at least a thousand different, you know, stories in this, and I'm sure there's more. So that's uh, that's amazing. As we're talking, you have inched even closer to your goal. I, I see that you are within two thousand. Really? That. Or no? Pardon me. Or, no, excuse me. Within three thousand, because you're you're asking uh, you're asking for twenty nine ninety nine, not twenty nine nine ninety nine, basically. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, yeah, you're you're just over twenty seven right now. Oh wow, that's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, yeah, man, it's I, been it's been really difficult not to constantly look. 
<laughs> I understand, and I'll, yeah, and I so and I always ask this of the Kickstarter people: Did you, did you go to any uh, previous? Did, uh, Jamal's obviously part of your team. He's mm-hmm. had successful Kickstarters for Molly Danger. Um, I'm sure he had thoughts on on you know how to do this campaign. Are there others that you went to to get advice for this Kickstarter? Uh, actually, no. I mean, you know, I, I I spent enough time online and watched enough Kickstarters that like for for the most part, I just sort of you know tried to like understand you know what to expect you know for the most part and i can definitely say the response to black is unexpected like i'm so happy we are where we are right now and so like close to our goal but um you know i i i definitely you know talk to people about like fulfillment and stuff and actually you know because kickstarter's headquarters in greenpoint i actually went there a few times and talked to some kickstarter people to kind of understand oh that's great how does this actually work (laughs) But, yeah, um, sure. That's great. No, but, that's uh, smart. But I still don't think any of it prepared me for it. <laughs> like really once I like leapt in. It was you know, it's still, you know, things coming at you where you're just like, oh, okay, wasn't expecting that. Oh, okay, that's how that works. Um but the, the response has been like really great and and I'm and I'm super happy that, you know, people are being so positive about it. I mean, there's definitely uh, I'm sure people out there who are having conversations that I, I probably don't want to look at online <laughs> about the project. <laughs> yeah i understand yeah but but on but on the but on the front end i mean especially you know on a platform like twitter i haven't at least nobody has nobody has at tagged me and said anything except like positive awesomeness so so it's been really that's been really good that's cool you know i mean the thing is and this is what drives me nuts is it's it's fine to disagree but not to the point where you're going to say well you can't have what you like and that's what really pisses me off about uh, those who have issues with comics that are taking, uh, you know, issues of race and and uh, sexuality and some of these other things that that you know creators are really standing up and saying, you know, enough. We want to see more representation. Yeah. And it's like, well, there, there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. It just makes a bigger comic field. No one is saying that you can't have, you know, white guy, <laughs> the adventures of white guy. Like we're not, you know, not, nobody's saying cancel that shit. It's like no, but you want more, you want more representation, and the the fans of Adventures of White Guy shouldn't worry if these comics don't appeal to them. Fine, yeah. enjoy your books. Look, I would be equally sad <laughs> as anybody else if like Superman suddenly didn't exist anymore. Like you're like, no, yeah. you're like what? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like I don't. This doesn't detract from it, and it also isn't separate no. from it either. I, I think. Oftentimes, like you know, people who do see comics like this or of that mindset see this as something that's not an American story. Like that's why I titled it Black. You know, I really wanted to like, like, just hit the nail on the head and just say like, this is this is what this is about. This is the story that it's telling. But this is an American story. Like this, this is our story. This is a part of our lives. And if we don't acknowledge it, if we don't like try to explore it, then we can't grow past it. You know, and, and that's something else that the story is about. It's not about, you know, stagnation. It's about evolving and these characters growing because this is a precarious, you know, situation that they're in. You know, everything's kind of on the razor's edge and how you deal with it. So black is a universal story. It's it's not it's not a comic that's like for black people or for any group. It's a story that I think everybody can enjoy. And it just it has perspective. You know, it comes from a you know, perspective that I think is pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But it's definitely something that anybody who, you know, has ever, you know, e- experienced exclusion could really relate to or anybody who is interested in this aspect of, you know, 
you know, human behavior and human culture. Like this is a human story. Like this is a thing that we do. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not yes. pretty all the time. It's not always happy, but it is who we are and we have to acknowledge that. Well, it's and, an and issue that, of the most. Yeah. 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 And Go if, on, I'm sorry. And if I could sum up like what black is to me, ultimately it's like, it's acknowledgement. It's like, acknowledge this this exists and we'll have a fun sci-fi story version of it but we are talking about something social that like you know it, that is a problem and it's something that we can conquer it's something that we can overcome i i agree and and i believe generationally we are going to reach that point i mean that is the great thing and it's my own solace when i deal with uh people that i know that you know are a bit too conservative in my life and I remind them, well, the good news is you'll be dead soon <laughs> and that your children don't have these. I know. Isn't that harsh? It sounds like such an it, asshole it, thing, but, but it's, it's true. true. Their children, their children do not hold those same, those same levels of intolerance or acceptance or lack of acceptance right. that they do have. And it just is. And I'm, you know, I mean, that's the thing. And that's why I appreciate the frustration that now isn't better. But and it should be, and that I wish that the problem were solved. But it's it's kind of similar to when I speak to uh, feminists as well, and I'm like, but it is a little better, and they're like, yeah, but not good enough. And it's like I didn't say that. I just said that like people are at least people are listening, and even it seems to me that unfortunately, because people like for instance in the in the situation where black people are still being gunned down in this country for you know just the most ridiculous it no reasons no sense whatsoever that that there is still it just seems like as as a kid who grew up at the tail end of like i mean i was born in 64 and i don't remember 68 well but i i know i do remember a little bit about it and it seems like it, it is a, a bit more of an accepting society in general and that more people are standing up and, and expressing the opposite to, of good christ this shit has to stop why is this still happening right and and you know that that they are that they are affected by it as, as well. Yeah, and it, sometimes it's like subtle and very systematic. So you know, like one of the things that you know I talk about when people ask me is like, well, do you think that you know something like this would you know happen at a Marvel or DC or a major publisher? You know, mm-hmm. I you know I say it's like, look, I I would never say that anyone either of those companies like all the people. I don't think any of it's intentional. It's more institutional. You know, when when you have a bunch of like white males in a room, what perspective do you, you think you're going to get a diverse perspective out of that? <laughs> you, you're just not I understood. I you understood. Know? And, and that's, and that's not to say that it's like, Oh, you guys, you guys are bad. It's like, you could take like four of the most liberal white guys in the world and put them in a room and you still might not get that because they have a certain perspective sure. in the same way that like, you know, if you take me and Kari and Jamal and Tim, we're not going to write the like a great comic on an Asian perspective. Like we're not going to write a great Korean novel. Like that's not going right. to be about it. No, I hear it. And, sure. and, and that's, and, and that point of inclusion is, is really, you know, what I drive at when, you know, people ask me about that sort of thing. I think if, you know, the more, the more, the more saunas that, that Marvel has, the closer they'll come. Sana to Amat. Yeah. The closer. Sana Amat, the, the editor that I just want to, for the audience yeah. who may not know who Sana is, but go on. Yeah. But the, the, the more of, people they have like her you know uh, the the more they're really going to be able to you know really really activate on a luke cage you know a black panther though black panther i think you know this next iteration is going to be pretty amazing um, well that's I, I wanted to ask because again and i'm going to get his i i'm going to mispronounce his name tahisi coats 
Tanahishi Coates, I believe. Tanahishi Coates, yeah. excuse me. Uh, you know, and and David Walker too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are are about to you know have these books come out this year. Um, you know, I I uh, and I know that David has been at the last couple Marvel summits, mm-hmm. the writer summits and stuff. So again, forgive me. So there's one. If I could be Archie <laughs> for a second, exactly. I know, right? I know, and I appreciate you laughing because that's what I was yeah. going for. Well, I- but yeah, man. I mean, no, it's it. You know, it again. Slowly. And also, I, I think, like you said, it institutional. I don't know. You know, I don't I don't know Axel Alonso well, but I have always heard the word is this is a guy that's always gone out at the end of the uh, re- retreat and said, who are we working with that we need to be working with? Right. And and absolutely, you're getting a room full of white guys giving the answer, mm-hmm. you know, or white guys and some Hispanics. Yeah. You know, Joe's in there, obviously. And, uh, you know, I mean. That's and I and I can honestly say that a couple of my friends of color, not not specifically African American, but they have been considered at those at those meetings. So you know, I I don't I don't know. I I really don't know. I I, I mean, you know, in term, I mean, that's the thing. It's weird. They they work with Kari Randolph. Uh, Jamal yeah. has worked with DC. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's. I'm not sure about Tim. I I got to be honest. I don't know Tim's full full bibliography. Mm-hmm. But but I mean that's the thing you know so and you know there have been times when Dwayne McDuffie obviously is making comics um, you know uh, Reggie Hudlin is making comics yeah. and stuff you know but let, you know let, let's Please, let's, yeah. let's talk about the fact that everybody you just named for the most part is that's freelance talent true you know and, you're right and, and really, no, you're right about that to, man and to really yeah. you know and to really throw Marvel under the bus a little bit without because again I, I don't yeah, I don't want any of this conversation to seem like boo Marvel boo, boo DC. But it's just like, you know, you guys scrambled a little bit after those hip hop covers because what was brought to light was where the brothers, you know, well, I, I say it to Joe Illich, a, a, go, a bit, go ahead. a bit, a bit, go they scrambled ahead. a bit because, you know, I presented it to some of my colleagues in comics. And I was like, does that, you know, pass the bugging out query? And it's like, where are the brothers on the wall? It's like you're, you're putting out like all this content. And I know it comes from, you know, a, a really genuine place and a, and a love of hip hop, which is now a universal like music thing, but it highlighted something that was missing, you know, in their cover, which was that inclusion. And so then like all of a sudden, like now you got Sanford green, like drawing power man. Iron Fist. was so, like, Sanford's right. been dope for like 20 years. He, he's right. not tell me, man, I'm a big fan. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Sanford's not new. Like I've been walking around artist alley for a long time and Sanford wasn't working like in the halls that often. And, like Sanford's a friend and like, he's somebody who's like so talented and like, he's another person who I would love, you know, to work with, you know, hopefully in the future. I'm a, he, I love Sanford. He was just on three months ago. He's coming on in a couple of weeks. Uh, obviously, to talk about uh, uh, Luke Cage and, uh, and Iron Man. Yeah, Fist. and so I couldn't on. be happier to have him on there. But it's just – it's one of those things where it's like, you know, again, talking about like – talking about the stewards of like these awesome and great brands that we all know. You know, one of the thing that, things that I would often see, you know, as, you know, an objective person working at a company like DC or Marvel and like not even being an editorial, it's like they would hire the same guys all the time. You know, and that they 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 had their go-to people, and those go-to people didn't include people like Sanford. And I'm glad and super happy that now that they 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 now do, and I'm glad that they're seeing the value in that. But from my perspective, as someone who's been their colleague and has worked with them for the last ten years, and it's like you haven't been paying attention, you didn't hear this before, you know, and and it wasn't until like there was a, a bit of an outcry that suddenly it became an issue. Who cares at the end of the day? Because you know Sanford's drawing a dope comic. But oh yeah, but you know it, it it highlights something, and it highlights something that it, like needs work, 
you know. I res- I totally respect that, Kwanzaa, but I can think of white creators that ran into the same problem as Sanford did in terms of, you know, Sanford really kind of broke through on the kids' line, mm-hmm. which is such a, like, small part of his – I mean, Sanford is one of those crazy artists that can do so many different styles, like a Stuart Immerman can, in terms of you can't pigeonhole Sanford if you truly look – and I've got one of his sketchbooks to prove it. Yeah. I mean, the guy can do so many different styles of art. And I wonder if, again, I don't, and I don't think it was, I think it was institutional, but I, I really don't think it was a, a race thing because I can say the same thing about Mike Norton at DC. Oh, well, I, Mike, and you know, Mike, Mike is a genius artist that has so many abilities. And for whatever reasons, he just wasn't getting the calls anymore for other than fill in and, hey, right. can you do this? And finally, he just said, "You know, fuck it. I'm going to do revival with with Tim, and and you know the the re- and Battle Pug and the rest speaks for itself." As Sanford has done the same thing in terms of, "Hey, I'm you know I'm going to set up and I, I always forget, it's it's hot sauce or yeah. I, you see I always it's either hot sauce or secret. It's not secret. <laughs> it's, sauce. Sauce. it's hot sauce. Yeah, it's hot sauce. Well, look. All right, it's hot sauce. His animation company and look at all the great deals that he's got brewing. Yeah. I mean, we he talked about him on Word Balloon, you know." Six months ago, but please go right. on. Well, look, the ten year the ten years <laughs> applies to everybody. Like nobody, everybody does the ten. <laughs> they, right. the, the, okay. The ten, the ten is blind, but I mean it in a sense. Go I mean on. in a sense of like what we were talking about earlier. So like my experience in DC, like Jeremy Love had also been like you know working for quite a lot of time, and there just was there's just not that and there's not there's not that intrinsic need to go out there and look for these types of creators or to understand like, Hey, if I'm going to go and do this sort of project, maybe it would be good, a good idea. Or if I'm going to do these hip hop covers, maybe it would be a good idea for us to, you know, really elevate, you know, African-American talent and put them on all of these, all these projects. Like to me as an editor is in particular, a black editor that, that would have been a no brainer. But if you don't have that sort of perspective, then you're not going to come edit and have that approach. And that's, again, why I think it's great to have people like Sana at Marvel because she is going to think like that. She's a brown woman. Like, she has a different perspective. Right. No, absolutely, like, man. She's going to look at that and, and say, like, oh, did you think about it this way? Or, you know, like the Pakistanian mistake would not have happened under her watch. You know what I mean? Sure. So it, it, it's more about that because, again, I don't think that any of it often has to do with race. I, I couldn't even imagine that there's a, you know, a racist person at either of those companies. And that's not what I'm talking about really, but it's more about like culture, you know, and when you're sitting I, around I in, in like, yes. in like a group, like culture can mean a lot of things, but, you know, considering that for the long part of our history, like all of our culture, all of our business, everything about America, you know, was influenced by the white male, you know, women, minorities and other people just didn't have that yes. voice yet. You know, and yes. again, that's that's changing, but that but that also illustrates the point of like here here are the things that you're missing, and that and here's why these things are happening. You know, and you just need Agreed. to be a little bit more. You, you need to be aware of them, and it doesn't mean that like uh, I suddenly go tomorrow and like you guys need to hire like black editors. I mean, I do mean that you do. <laughs> it's like sure you you need you need to you need to think about these things, and especially since you're trying to approach you know them. Um, and it's and it's interesting because I had just read a, an article I think it was on IO9, where um, Brian Michael Bendis was talking about you know uh, Miles Morales Spider Man number one came out mm-hmm. today and that he mm-hmm. was f- you know finally going to tackle the issue of race uh, bit in the comic book and I sort of groaned a bit because I'm like oh you haven't done it for all these issues I don't really think it's it's a thing <laughs> for Miles like I imagine he could experience it but it's like ah. Uh... 
it's like, do you, do you really want to go there? Because even though I know, like, and he expresses like, you know, his, his family situation, it's like, like, how deep are you, are you really going to, are you really going to dive into this? Or is this going to be, you know, something that's your understanding of racism as a, as a white male who does have, you know, children of color about how Miles is going to experience something like that? You know, that, that, and, and as a writer, I imagine, you know, he's, you know, going to want to do it justice and he's always been a thoughtful writer. Um, and, and I applaud and I'm so happy that he, he, you know, he took on, you know, and has been a champion for the character miles. But I look at that and I'm just like, ah, oh, I kind of don't in, in this instance, I kind of don't want you, I don't really know if I want to read that story. Well, I, I understand and I could appreciate the trepidation, but I would also say that I think writers who aren't, who, who, you know, aren't writing about their own life experience, the good ones seek out people to talk to right. and, and, and interview and stuff. And again, I, and I, and I'll obviously people word balloon, you know, listeners know I'm, I'm Brian and I are friends and I, and I, uh, I, I you know, yeah, I, I like most of Brian's product because I enjoy his writing and stuff, but I do kind of, I, I understand, and I think it's I think it's right that there should be more representation on the creative side. I don't want to see an exclusion of, you know, whites writing black stories, uh, women writing men's stories. Absolutely, and 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 that's why I I can appreciate that concern. But I, I'm willing to, you know, and hey, man, nobody bats a thousand, and who knows, you know, right. Brian Brian might screw up on that. Yeah, you know, no. But I, but I also think Brian's a talented enough writer, and I, and also because of his yeah, I don't think family he's situation do as well. Fruits. <laughs> you know, well, you know, you, I got to be honest. I haven't cracked that book open yet, and oh, I, and I wow. want to because you know, honestly, man, I, I don't, I haven't read it, so I really can't speak to it. But I have a friend who's um, a writer for uh, the Wall Street Journal, Cameron McWhorter, mm-hmm. and he wrote about, and I don't remember, it was red is in the title. And it was a historical look at the riots that happened in 1918 post-World War I in Chicago and I know in the South and that. And just about just the, the ridiculous amount of just out-and-out street violence and lynchings and murders that were happening to, I'm assuming, black soldiers that were coming back from World War I. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's the thing. And, I mean, you know, Cam's a white guy. He's a suburban white guy and stuff. But he went out and did the research and, and wrote the book and stuff. And, I do, again, I haven't read Strange Fruit yet. So I, I can't I can't really, uh, you know, judge it. But that's the thing. I, I really felt there was this level of outrage because of, of, of the fact that it was, again, two white guys writing it. It reminded me of when Norman Jewison did Malcolm X. Well, I think I think you know, in a, or was about to, and then Spike took over. Yeah. I forget, did did Spike end up doing it, or did? Yeah, he did. Okay, yeah. yeah, Spike ended up doing it, but you know, Norman Jewison was going to do it. Spike made a big, you know, yell about. It. I'm only doing this for context, context <laughs> yeah. purposes and stuff. And Norman Jewison's like, you know, Spike, I got the movie, and I, you know, all right, let's let's talk about it or whatever. And he's like, all right, you know, he he backed off, and Spike Spike right. Spike made the movie. Yeah. So go ahead, please forgive me. No, there's, no, no. There's no... And, 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 <laughs> and I really I appreciate the conversation. Yeah, and honestly. where I was gonna get to with it was just like you know I I I, I grown and I have a little like caution in it because I've enjoyed what he's written so much. You know okay. that like hearing that I'm just like it's almost like I want to say like, oh, you don't have to. <laughs> but then at the same time I, I think it's like all right well then you then then you need to go david simon on this you know and and i understand you you might have yeah it's like you yeah. might have two small children stuff like that but you know if you haven't 
maybe interview about a hundred kids who are black, who are miles age <laughs> and like get their perspective. If they've experienced this to like be able to like really get that perspective because, you know, I've had, I've experienced racism and I can, I don't know if I can put into words that feeling when it happens to you, especially to a young person and especially to a young person as miles is like shown like a millennial black child Mm -hmm. who's growing up in a in a multicultural environment who goes to a good school his best friend's asian like you know Mm -hmm. in 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 the in the fictional world that somewhat reflect reflects what world we're moving towards like he he's living the dream that we all want and to then like sort of like inject something like that in there you know it's sort of like it, it it's a big story it's a big story to tackle and 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 the way that it's addressed in the interview to me is just like you know you sort of slid it in there it, it 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 is it will be bigger than that, and, and I would and and where I his editor that's a conversation I would want to have. It's like he's got so much profile right now, and everybody loves him so much. Like, let's talk about this. How are we going to make sure? How are we going to make this the best thing? Because I know that's what he wants, and it's what I want. But in my interpretation of it, I was just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, dude, I hear what you're saying, and frankly, yeah, I, I hope there is some sort of uh, editorial voice, uh, even if it is something that Brian has set up himself on the side or something like that. You know, I I uh, I understand. I, I as 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 best as a white guy could, who sadly has never really experienced that kind of fear and and uh, confusion when when a, when a small child. I mean, honestly, I, I really do. I I can't. I can't fathom what that must be like, the level of fear and confusion that comes from that first taste of racism and stuff. I can't. Yeah. I, I, and, I, and yeah, it's, uh, you're right. That is something that is alien to me. Uh, and, I, and yeah, it's, and it, it's, shitty that it, it's shitty that it exists. It, it yeah. is. And, it, and, it, and it's something that, you know, in the black experience is almost like a rite of passage. You know, it, it happens. And, I can understand it, that. Sure, man. And then you yeah. have to have that conversation. You know? And it's, and yeah. it's unfortunate. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, I... I would like to trust and, and put out there in terms of like, you know, the world that like, you know, I would hope that, you know, he rises to the challenge of doing something like that because the the work that he's done so far with the characters has definitely been spirited and has come from the right place. And I, and I'd like to, you know, see it continue down that path. Like I don't want to, I don't want to, I, I don't want to see that story, you know, get the hip hop cover. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. But would you agree that, you know, in the past and obviously at that time in the 60s when a Nichelle Nichols is on Star Trek, when Bill Cosby – and I know that's a dirty word now, but I, I remember, you know, uh, the 70s uh, and really the 60s, I spy. And, 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 and I know historically how big that was for Bill Cosby to be a co-star on a network television show and stuff like that. So that level of normalcy, which I – which, you know, is the other side of the coin to – Hey, let's face the real shit that goes on and everything. But you see, you know, there is. Would you agree? Is there value to to show that level of normalcy as far as race relations? That yeah, you know, the fact that Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson are as great friends as they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I I definitely think so. And that and that's and that's the thing. And that's why like at times I've you know I've called those characters a little cookie cutter. Is like, look, you're setting up this sort of ideal world. Like, you know, let, let's, let, let's stick to our guns here. You know, mutants are the outsiders or inhumans or whatever and stuff. And, and maybe that's just not where you, where you, the field you play in, you know, but at the same time, knowing that, you know, 
in the same way that you know Star Wars, you know, had that sort of like cachet, like by bringing in a John Boyega. It's like yeah, the Force literally did awaken. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like it's like you know, there there's still this context that you're operating off of. You know, it's like there there's meaning. So it, it, it's it's a bit con, it's a bit conflicted, but at the same time, it's just like all right, if you if you're gonna go down this road, you know, you really have to go down this road. And and like I say, David Simon it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you man! I don't think that's going to happen at Star Wars. Do you? Well, I, I, I well, well, with Star Wars maybe not. But I think, I think, I, I think that knowing what that context is, you know, is, is important. So, for example, you know, at this point, if you haven't seen Star Wars, I'm just going to say spoilers, and I'm going to say no, spoilers one more time. Uh, yeah, by 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 the second month, I'm willing to say all right, right. it's okay. And so, you know, one of the issues I I had with that film was that you know, you know, Please. I knew that Finn was not, you know, the one. <laughs> Everybody knew he wasn't the one. But we were just excited. It was like, yes, he's got a lightsaber. He's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Oh, yeah. And, oh, no, that was and cool. To, and to have him, like, you know, like have this grand adventure that, you know, we knew at some point was going to, you know, fall onto Ray's shoulders. You know, he, he was kind of taken down pretty low, like right at the last minute. Just like, okay, I understand, like, he's not going to, like, win the fight. And then, you know, great woman power, like, now – Ray's going to kick his ass. It's like, he's just unconscious at the end of the movie. <laughs> like, that's it. Like, he's just technically like dead. And he did the typical sacrificial black man so that the white person can, you know, live and like have their like great adventure. And it was just one of those things where it's just like, damn it, Star Wars. I really love this movie. Like, couldn't he do like the gaspy thing at the end? where he's just like, oh, I wish I could go with you. But, you know, I took that lightsaber <laughs> for you. So have fun fighting Luke Skywalker. I'm going to heal up. But instead, he's just unconscious. And I was like, you know, like, damn, come on. Like, what, like, you're telling me there wasn't, like, at least, like, you know, a black guy with a boom mic who just, like, turned around and shook his head and went, no. <laughs> no. Have you ever seen a horror movie? Like, really? That's how we're going to – that's what we're going to do with Finn at the end? After all that buildup? <laughs> come on. Where are you on Lando? Oh, uh, you know, Lando is one of those characters that I actually really like because, you know, yeah, he was he was the only black guy in the future, and he and he had some dubious loyalties, and I think that's what makes him an awesome challenge. Agreed. You know, he's in, a complex character. Yeah, Absolutely. in the film, because it's like, yeah, you were a traitor, and you're the black guy, but then at the same time, it's like, oh wait, I'm imposing the context of like the real world <laughs> in space world where it's like, no, you're just Lando because. You're standing next to a weird-ass alien, like, elephant thing. So, yeah, you being kind of, like, low on the totem in terms of, like, strange shit here. <laughs> I hope he shows up in uh, eight or nine. Oh, yeah, really... me too. I was just like, oh, man, come on, no Billy D. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Billy D's awesome, man. No, absolutely. Yeah, I got to I got to meet him at uh, at one of the Wizard shows in Chicago. Uh... Uh, and Mark, I was interviewing Mark Miller in the green room, and he's just rubbing his temples. And, and we're like, oh. You know, Mr. Williams, and it's it was uh, Mark still remembers it too. And we're like, Mr. Williams, we're sorry, we're doing a, a, an audio interview. I hope we were not going to disturb you. And he had that awesome Billy D voice of, "That's okay, I just needed to get off the floor." <laughs> and I'm just like, awesome, you know? I'm like, okay, sorry, but that was really cool. All right, we're gonna leave you. Yeah, I mean, he he is he is a cool, smooth brother. I remember being a kid, and I didn't even understand what cool was, but I just knew he was that. Damn straight. <laughs> yeah. No, I think we're. Close enough to the same age. Those the call forty five. Does it every time? Like, <laughs> like all I knew is like he pop open a can of Coke forty five and women came out of the closets. <laughs> like, exactly. Pour it out. All right. 
Yeah, he was awesome, man. I agree. I loved him in um, Ladies Man. Yeah. In that ocean. <laughs> no, good stuff. Come on. We need Lando. Yeah. That's got to be a hashtag. Absolutely. Lando, you know, so much like Go Black. Your, your own hashtag for uh, for your project. Yeah. Yeah. Uh did I say it right? Did I get it right, or am I am no, I that's doing the, a white? No, thing? that's no, that's that's the hashtag. You, okay. you say it just like it's spelled. <laughs> that's excellent. Um, All right, good deal. But uh, yeah, yeah. Well, back back to the back to the graphic novel. You've got some really cool, um, you know, uh, pledge uh, uh, pledge rewards as well. And um, I'm surprised uh, some of them are are, are still there. Like, uh, man, you got. Um, Eight left of uh, commissions from either Tim or Jamal. Yeah, that doesn't suck. Um, you know, I mean, by the way, and I want to get this out because uh, for ten bucks you can get PDFs of all six issues. Yes, and um, for twenty five bucks you can get the book mm-hmm. and all six so issues. People, so you know, and, oh, there you go. It all just stacks essentially. You know, I really wanted to. That's right. I, want, I wanted to make it so that like what, whatever price tier, like you 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 make a pledge. You know, you get a little something from the previous one. So, you know, if you if you make it all the way down to like fifty dollars, like you get everything above. That's very cool, and I'm looking uh, to to get some more. Uh, for three hundred dollars, you can get uh, an original interior page from Jamal. Yep. And right now, only two of uh, the twenty have been claimed, so there's still a, a good chance to get that. Uh, Five hundred or more, you get the original cover art from uh, Kari Randolph. Wow. Which I I actually have to say like look at the first cover people somebody already scooped it up and I and I'm pretty sure they're gonna want that cover and you know I I think these are gonna be real real huge collector items <laughs> so that's fantastic well there's only one left I yeah, guess it's like and I kind of want to you know say it's like if you don't take it like I'm gonna get it from Gary myself so <laughs> <laughs> good for you man. you know Absolutely. but but we're leaving it out there for you so <laughs> that's excellent. Do you? Th- I mean, again, you know, you're doing this first. I assume you you want to move on beyond the beyond the first uh, five issues here. Uh, yeah, well, it's six issues, and yeah, I, I oh, do. Geez. There, there, there is definitely an intention to tell more stories. Um, I like to, you know, I like to tell things as books. So even though it's broken into six chapters, uh, you know, I, I think of it as like one unit. And there's definitely more books to follow this one because, you know, it it not to like give too much away it ends on a it ends on a note that i think will require more exploration okay okay will you keep the same team or do you want to showcase more black artists uh personally uh i can't i cannot speak for uh any of the team because maybe after working with me on this book they'll be like oh god (laughs) (laughs) it's such an undertaking but um but you know i i I always love consistency and, and, and the way I sort of, you know, look at comics and approach them, I, I definitely would want to work with this entire team again on any future projects. Oh, yeah. um, okay. But, you know, seeing like what the interest has been in black and like how I think there's so many potential for other stories, I, I, I would definitely see potential to like, you know, tell maybe some miniseries or like really like break it out and explore specific characters because that, that sort of thing is always like really fun for me. Very cool. No man, it's a it's a very cool uh, campaign. The book is called Black, and I think you've got an excellent description from uh, from Kwanzaa today. And I, uh, I really, I'm I'm thrilled that you are as close to your goal, and I hope you exceed it. And uh, 
everybody gets a nice paycheck for for their efforts and stuff, and uh, you know, it pays for the book and gives you guys uh, you know something to build on absolutely. beyond this. Yeah. So. No, absolutely, man. And, tr- and truly, uh, great conversation. I-, I really appreciate it. Am I not? Am I missing anything? I want to give you the opportunity to uh, like if there's something that we're not covering. I want. I want you to talk. No, about. I-, I don't think so. I don't think so. Like, yeah, I really tried to like keep things very simple. Like, even with the rewards and stuff, it's just like I just I want people to read the book. I want them to have the book. <laughs> that that's the thing that I no, want cool. more than anything else. I want people to read it. I want them to to enjoy it and like you know give it to a friend when they're done with it because that's. That's the joy of reading. That's the joy of comics. That's how I got into it. You know, that's how everybody did. Are you happy doing this, or do you have any interest in getting back in the mainstream? As far as the big two, uh, absolutely no. Uh, no, okay. no. No offense, but I, I've, I've done I've no. done my tours, and I I understand. I, I think I think staying in, independent, or at least just like working with great publishing partners, would be great. But uh, yeah, I, I I I love being a fan of you know dc and marvel and image and and those and those those great titles that they they put out but uh, i don't oh so that's interesting you include image in that in that uh absolutely i image please yeah i'm I'm curious how how do they stack up to the big two in terms of something you wouldn't want to pursue i I think image has just been like crushing it and you know i i I think they're a great company with an with an amazing ethos and, you know, regrettably, I kind of like, you know, got into a salty Twitter, you know, fight with Eric Stevenson and Eric Larson ah. a, a few months back. But, you know, it, it uh, for me, it came from a good place because I felt the image was such a strong company and such a strong brand that they felt that part of their marketing had to come out of the idea that, you know, somehow editorial at Marvel and DC were hampering creatives. And I just, I just couldn't sit with that. I was like, that's absolutely not true. At least not, or at least not for me. I was like, it's like, you say that, you say that about me. And I love all my creators and respect their work and wanted nothing but the best for them. It's like, but even to like sort of infer that to me was just like, you guys don't need that. Like you're awesome without even having to like go down that road. Like you don't have to compare yourself to them. Like your image and you made clear that you are a creator first, like from the beginning, like nobody disputes that. So, you know, just don't, there's no need to demonize editors to like show who you are. And I, and I, and I think the context of me just calling that to the mat, like, you know, brought us into a bit of a conflict, <laughs> but, okay. but I still respect the shit out of what they do. And, you know, to me, it, it wasn't something I walked away from. And so like, Oh, those guys suck. I was like, I still respect you. <laughs> Still, still, okay. love, still love what you guys are putting out there. So, so, but it, would you? And I'm just curious. Uh, would you say that, like you said, they don't need to do that to promote themselves? Mm-hmm. Would you say there is too much editorial inf- interference, though, from the big two? Um, you know, I, as a separate issue. I, yeah, I, I think if we if we went down that that road, I, <laughs> we'd start having a really interesting conversation. But um, I got time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, honestly, I mean, and truly, I, I think what we talked about with DC last year, because I was really more talking about five years ago when they started the new 52 and you had a Mr. Terrific book and you had a uh, a, uh, a static book and, and things like that, that, you know, that there was this small effort uh, to bring back some milestone characters, some of the newer black characters and stuff had black creators writing it and drawing it. 
But I wonder if it was editorial uh, interference that, again, watered down the product. Yeah, I, I think that's a case of like what we were discussing before. Where it's like, you know, a lack of experience and, and not to you know take anything away because I know that, you know, in this game, like, you know, every artist and writer who come on these books, they really try to put their best foot forward. But, you know, I, I think DC and, you know, a lot of companies because of just the way comic book publishing works, it's like are often just trying to fill a slot. You know, and I, and I think you run sure. you run into that problem when you just arbitrarily like say we're going to put out like fifty two books. And my immediate question is something like that: is like, why? <laughs> like, why, why are you going to set yourself up like that? Why don't you just put out like as many good books as you can instead of, you know, like throwing out wasting so- shelf space with shit. Yeah, and and you know, and then like wasting creative time with something that, you know, is, is might be a little half baked or not ready, or you haven't like really like taken the time to like flesh it out or develop like a concept in a way that's really going to make a character sing, you know? Um, and it's kind of funny because, you know, like now they have cyborg in the forefront, but you know, when they launched new 52, they like led with Miss terrific. And that was one of those characters are just like, what? Oh, really? That's interesting. Because honestly, like Mis- he's he, for the new JSA characters. I really like Mister. I Terrific. like Mister. Terrific too. On a team, <laughs> like, what is like? How much time have you spent developing this character enough that he can hold his own in a solo book? Well, you're right about that, and certainly people know Cyborg a lot better than they knew. Mr. Right, Terrific, so. and it's like so you're putting this poor guy out there to sort of you know, and and this is where things kind of like feel like it's a like it might be you know tokenism. It's like and shows a lack of understanding. Is that like, you know, you're just hanging this guy out there for what? Just to be like your, your black character? It's like, it's Mr. Terrific. Like, you got, give Jon Stewart his own freaking comic. He's got more, like, he's got more of a following. He, he had enough of a following that when Green Lantern, the movie came out, people got mad because they're like, no, wait, hey, Green Lantern's black because they grew up watching Justice League. Absolutely, <laughs> you know? man. No, and in fact, I, I was going to, but you already said, you know, you, you like Miles and stuff. I was going to say, God, look at the amount of people when, before Sony and Marvel were able to work out the ability of Peter Parker being in Marvel movies, and everyone's like, fine, fuck that. Put Miles in the Marvel movies. We love Miles. Yeah. And Donald, Donnell Glover going, hey, man, I want to play Miles. And it's like, yeah, that'd be awesome. It would, it would be awesome. <laughs> and, and, I, and it's weird, too, because when you say that, that's, that's one of the things that I really loved about like you know Miles when he appeared in the Ultimate Universe and how he had you know really taken up the role of Spider-Man in the universe. And even though I understand, like, you know, the whole universe, like, colliding sort of, like, element of it and that, you know, it doesn't absolutely detract from him, like, you know, the fact that Peter Parker is still Spider-Man and, like, he's Spider-Man is just sort of like, well, then he's not Spider-Man, he's just black Spider-Man, I guess. You know, it's like, I want him to be Spider-Man, but he was Spider-Man, but now he's just kind of like Spider-Man 2, <laughs> you know? I don't, I don't know, man. I, 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 well, again, I'm not black, but I mean, I, I, you know, Wally and Wally and Barry existing didn't bother me, and it pissed me off when they got rid of Wally West. And it's like, yeah, uh, there could be more than one Flash. There could be more than one Green Lantern. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's what I'm saying. So that, yeah. and I understand Spider-Man is. You're right. I mean, he's like the Superman of Marvel, really. Right. When I mean, it really, and, and he's almost, and is definitely regarded uh, uh, as that by the Avengers and stuff. Yeah. You know, he's very like an individual. 
character in the same way that, that like there's no Daredevil Junior. And <laughs> this is kind of like right. Yeah, you guys, right. you guys no, never really operated off the whole like sidekick mythos. You know, it's like there wasn't that much mantle passion going on. You know, in the Marvel universe, you guys are a little tougher than that. But well, until now, yeah, until, until now. now. And and I mean, really, what it comes down to is like if it's a good story, who cares and stuff. And I and I think yeah. that that's what Miles represents. Honestly, it's like it's 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 good storytelling. You know, I'm I'm going to you know have my opinions on it and those things are based you know on perspective and experience but at the end of the day you know i want more miles i want him to be out there i want him to exist people love him and 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 he's a great character yeah great on all that um, no it's hey, well there you go man and he I, and he's know. got the better spider-man outfit so just throwing that it out is there. Cooler, <laughs> <laughs> it is cooler. Like, sorry he, he he dresses better uh, <laughs> <laughs> in a way that uh Spider-Man 2099, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I like the classic better. But no, I agree. I think Miles, you know, Car- we'll, Miles suit is a little better. Will Sliney's a really good friend. And, like, I, I had the same thing. And I, and I felt – I said the same thing to him and I felt a little bad. I was like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's like, yeah. He's like, oh, you know, I was like, oh, let's uh, – you want another beer? <laughs> um well, this has been great, man. Honestly, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the extra couple of minutes talking about uh, editorial interference. Yeah. Because, because yeah, I, I – but again, the good news is – and also your distinction in terms of image, you're not alone. I mean, I, you know, uh, my, my good friend Ryan Brown uh, decided that he does better self-publishing through Kickstarter uh, for uh, uh, God Hates Astronauts than mm-hmm. he did with image. And that's – the great thing is – there's more than one. There's more than two options, and for the longest time, Charlton and First Comics and all the others of the various decades aside, if you wanted, you know, most people the ambition was, I really want to work for Marvel. I really want to work for DC. And now we've great, got this great generation of millennials who are like, uh, yeah, that's okay, but I'd rather just make my own comics, thanks. Right. And, I, and I, you know, that's excellent. And I'm glad that people, you know, closer to my age are. <laughs> doing it as well including yourself absolutely so, uh, congratulations man yeah and 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 it, and it it's a formula for really great stories you know leading with stories and what you, and the ones that you want to tell first yeah the book is called black yep. and uh, you can check out the kickstarter project we'll have a link at wordballoon.com if you look up black by kwanzo sajifo then you're uh, you're going to find this excellent project it's close to uh, its goal but really uh, back it i think uh, it's a great bargain if you just want the PDFs, it's ten bucks. If you want the hard book, it's twenty-five bucks. And there's a lot of other great uh, rewards for higher pledges as well. So good luck, man, and uh, thank you for talking and really having a having a good candid conversation where we get more than one point of view and and you know, but still can uh, manage to have a, a friendly conversation. Absolutely, and uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been like great talking to you. There you go. Check out the Kickstarter for Black. Um, like I said, they did reach their goal um, when we recorded it. Uh, they were close, as, as we talked about. But uh, they reached it on Friday, and uh, congratulations to them. But I do. I think it's a great deal, and uh, I think it's a very interesting story that deserves our attention. So I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on Word Balloon. Uh, it was brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com, where, as always, they have tremendous deals happening at InStock Trades. Uh, things like... A huge 45% off all DC and image titles right now. 
You can also get uh, select image titles for up to 50% off. Every Star Wars DCB variant will have uh, free upgrade to FedEx shipping. There's a good deal going on. And uh, there's also a big clearance sale going on of up to 70% off selected books. If you click on the tabs, you'll get more details. In uh, addition to those books, you can also get things like Scotty Young's Giant Size Little Marvel AVX, one of the funnier offshoots that came from, uh, from Secret Wars, and uh, it was uh, very, very good. And this uh, collection is uh, 50% off $12.49. Man, don't you love I Hate Fairyland? I'm telling you, Scotty's just kicking ass. How about reaching back for a great uh, Black Widow trade from Marvel featuring Greg Rucka and Devin Grayson doing uh, Itsy Bitsy Spider? That trade paperback is uh, 42% off, just $11.59. And I mentioned it before, Superior Foes of Spider-Man featuring uh, Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber. In fact, the team has an image series coming up in a few months, and we'll be talking to, uh, I'm sure, at the very least one of them, if not both, uh, before that premiere happens. So uh, listen for that in the future on Word Balloon. But uh, enjoy, in the meantime, Superior Foes of Spider-Man Omnibus at 50% off, $24.99. Those deals and more are waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. John Sutra saying thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Do me a favor. If you enjoy Word Balloon, would you subscribe to the show and just make it uh, part of your regular feed? Uh, That would be terrific. If you uh, listen through iTunes, uh, would you leave a review and a rating? Man, I was really mad. Somebody accused me of spoiling uh, Batman versus Superman on this show. And I think they might have just maybe hit the wrong, uh, you know, they were thinking of a different podcast or whatever, because I'm like... I don't think so. <laughs> I haven't had anybody on to talk about that, and I would never do that. My God, I was, like, you know, fetching over uh, talking about uh, The Force Awakens too quickly after the uh, premiere. So, no, you don't have to worry about spoilers at Word Balloon. I, 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 don't, I don't know. That kind of pissed me off. I don't mind if you give me a bad review, but make it an honest one. So that was kind of weird. But anyway, that said... Uh, if you would do me the favor and uh, subscribe through iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review. It really does help, and it helps people become more aware of Word Balloon because it pops up on you know new and noteworthy and all that crap. Who the hell knows how iTunes works? I can't help it. It's one of those measuring sticks that that's what podcasters deal with. But anyway, enough of my problems. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, don't forget, we're back next week. Uh, in fact, uh, very soon because uh, good people really want to come on especially in February, and I'm happy to oblige. And that just means there's more programming coming this month on Word Balloon. Short month, only 29 days, but we're going to jam-pack it with a lot of stuff from Word Balloon. Stick with us all month and beyond. Thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2016.